Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to give credit where credit is due. First of all, God. Um, our audience is growing. Uh, podcast downloads have been at record levels um, last month. And this is with us being censored and shadow banned on social media and suppressed like you would not believe. We do not advertise. We don't have a newsletter. And I want to give also credit not only to, to God in his sovereignty for allowing us to reach more people, but I also want to say thank you to HarbingersDaily.com, Harbinger's Daily News site. Uh, we've overlooked that as one of probably the main reasons for Stand Up For The Truth being out there and reaching more people. And thank you. Thank you, guys, for your help as well in sharing the podcast. Yesterday, we did a very fiery and passionate podcast on the public school system in America. Some of you didn't like it. Many of you tuned out. Um, that's okay. That's all right. We know it's hard to accept as Christian parents in the United States of Entertainment, and in America, I mean. Um, it's hard for some of you to accept that um, this is the new environment of the public schools. But I just want to remind you of a couple things, and then I'll get to our guest today, Andy Woods. We're going to talk about seven principles that made America great. Gosh, he did two uh, sermons on this. I don't know how we're going to squeeze it in here. But I do want to mention a couple things. First of all, um, a couple letters that listeners wrote, one from Canada. Um, for, you know what? Let me start with this. The American Federation of Teachers has donated uh, 100%, a total of $2.6 million to the Democrat Party just this year alone, in this 2022 election cycle. So they exclusively, almost exclusively donate to the Democrat Party, and you need to ask yourselves why they have endorsed every Democrat president uh, since Jimmy Carter. Why? And the NEA has donated 98.4% to Democrat candidates, according to OpenSecrets.org. That's $1.9 So that aside, let's go now to, hello, David, from Canada. First off, I want to thank you how much I, I appreciate your ministry. I want, your podcast is one of the ones I listen to along with Jan Markell, J.B. Hickson, Amir Sarfati, and other faithful watchmen and remnant. I listen today as some listeners left the podcast, especially when you got strong in your comments, but bravo for standing up for the truth. Never back down. I, too, felt like throwing up when I heard clips of the comments from the NEA conference and the president of the NEA. I was stunned at how arrogant, bold, brazen, and vile the NEA has become. And even more stunning is one of the state's school board requirements that teachers agree to the evil satanic philosophies, such as Marxism, in order to be licensed. That is an agenda to keep Christian teachers out of the schools. How sinister. I pay close attention to American politics and culture as the perversion has also crept into Canada. Already, many of our schools have adopted CRT and LGBTQ poison into their curriculums. I have found I have grave concerns. Uh, thanks to God, one of my children is homeschooling her five young ones. Uh, please do not let those who criticize your stand 
for Christianity discourage you. We need leaders who are not afraid to be bold in telling the truth in today's world that has exchanged the truth for lies. Your show is simply separating the sheep from the goats. Mm. Keep standing for the truth, David. I pray for you and your team daily. And I say this as there's uh, really spiritual warfare going on. Um, I pray for your protection as well. So with so much appreciation, Maranatha, and that's Gail from Saskatchewan, Canada. One more letter real quick. Good morning, David. If yesterday's standard for the truth didn't scare parents into pulling their kids from public school, I don't know what will. Those that were convicted to homeschool need to have some direction. Uh, here are some of the places I received homeschooling info, and then she lays out uh, Green Bay Area Christian Homeschool Group, um, Wisconsin Homeschooling Parents Association, um, Homeschool Curriculum at Answers in Genesis, Answers in Genesis, I think it's AIG.org. Also, I want to mention one of my places I collaborate, uh, Freedom Project Academy. That's F-P-E-U-S-A dot org. And as I just, you can find one of these articles every day, friends, another one just to continue to prove our point. I don't want to belabor it. But at the WashingtonStand.com, uproar as school districts hide students' gender transition from parents. This comes from the state of Maryland. Again, friends, we can find something in every state. As you know, in a little town of 4,000 here in Wisconsin, three eighth-grade boys were suspended for not, uh, not uh, complying to the uh, pronoun of a fellow student and the teacher sent them down to the principal's office, they were suspended. Now, I just want to read the quote briefly, and Dr. Andy Woods is waiting patiently, and I can't wait to get to him. But this quote was what got people rattled yesterday. This is the NEA president. She represents the National Education Association and their curriculum, and this is what they're saying to teachers. And she got a standing ovation at the convention last month from teachers, and we played the audio clip yesterday on the podcast. Quote, as we have for decades... We will fight tirelessly for the right to choose. We will never stop. We will fight tirelessly, unceasingly for the rights of our LGBTQ students and educators. We will say gay. We will say trans. We will use the words that validate our students and their families to become who they are meant to be, end quote. Obviously not who God made them. Um, So now let's bring in Dr. Andy Woods. And let's jump right into today's podcast, and we're going to talk about American history because we need to because we've strayed so far as a nation and even as a church. Uh, Pastor Andy teaches at Sugarland Bible Church in Texas. He's author of the book Babylon, The Bookends of Prophetic History, and many more great books. Pastor Andy, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. David, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And I know you heard what I just laid out there, uh, concerns about the education system and the amazing um, fact that so many Christian parents just don't want to acknowledge it. I think it's hard for them to look at and, and admit. But I would just, just love to hear your thoughts at the top before we get into the seven principles. Well, you know, I'm actually starting to read that book by, uh, I think it just was published by Pete uh, Hegseth. Do you know him from Hegseth. Fox News? Yes. If I got his, pronounced his name right. He's got a new book out on the problems with education, and he makes the point that, look, this is actually the ripened fruit of something that started, you know, a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a century ago, they were plotting the Marxists on how to, you know, revamp uh, 
through the Frankfurt School, um, America's educational system. And so all these things today that we're struggling with, with Common Core, uh, the NEA, etc., that's just the ripened fruit of some a bad seed that was planted 100 years ago. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Yes. And we as Christians um, have lost sight of that principle, but the Mar- Marxists haven't. <laughs> no. Said we're going we're gonna to take over the schools, we're going to make it compulsory, we're going to take over the teachers' colleges, and we're going to teach our brand of reality and worldview. And so here we are 100 years later. Yes, and they, we've forgotten how effective they've been at the principle, using the principle of gradualism. We know Antonio Gramsci sent out his marching orders in his prison notebooks and said uh, they really essentially want to make it a long progressive march through the major institutions in America, and they've been successful breaking down this, what at one time was maybe seemed as an impenetrable wall of Christianity in the biblical worldview, but they were very patient and they chipped away at at it, didn't they, Andy? Yeah, and you know, what's interesting, you mentioned Gramsci, mm-hmm. um, Pete Buttigieg, who we see on the news, you know, news all the time, he's in the Biden administration, he ran for president, was the mayor of an Indiana uh, city. Um, what's very interesting about him is his father was a professor who was actually a Gramsci scholar, and actually he translated the, you know, you mentioned the Gramsci notebook he translated those into English and that like the NIV version, I guess of the Gramsci papers, you know, (laughs) but, um, that's Pete Buttigieg's father. Mm. And now we have Pete Buttigieg almost president and in the administration. And that's how close Marxism, you know, is knocking on the door of the United States. Well, let's jump into your seven principles that you laid out that made America great. Cause we're looking back at history that has either been rewritten or edited and much of it has been removed. It, the Christian influence and worldview has been removed from public school textbooks generally. Um, and we know what happened in the 1960s. They removed God, the Bible, prayer. Eventually they took out the Ten Commandments. And th- all that leaves a pretty big void, uh, doesn't it, Andy? So you talked in your introduction about France, who has endured seven, seven different governmental systems during the same time in the 200 years that America has enjoyed one. And then you say, uh, consider the Declaration of Independence, and I'd love for you to start there. Well, it it really has to do with American, you know, exceptionalism. Um, People get upset when we use that term, but, you know, we think, they think it's saying we're superior, or some, some misconstrue it as racially superior, which is silly because America consists of all races. But American exceptionalism really is the idea that America is the exception to the rule. Mm. I mean, the norm around the world for most of world history is totalitarianism. And um, America, you know, has um, been the exception to that. In fact, one of the things that makes America great is no nation has ever been as long under the same founding documents mm-hmm. as America has under the Declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, France had their revolution more than a decade after America did, and she is now in her 15th government. Brazil has had seven constitutions since 1822. Wow. Poland has had seven since 19. 19- 
21. Afghanistan has had five since 1923. Russia has had four since 1918. And the story is very similar to most other nations. The type of instability has characterized nations in Europe, Africa, South America, and the rest of the world, except, and that's where we get the concept of exceptionalism, except America. And I got that statement from uh, David Barton yes. in his book, uh, The Role of Pastors and Teachers in Civil Government. That's, a, that's really a fascinating context to me when you look at other countries and other nations that have had so many different changes in their founding documents or constitutions. And so can we say, uh, Andy Woods, can we say that our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, though written by man, had God's influence on it, had God's hand on it, or in our founding? Well, I don't think there's any question about that for people that want to be intellectually honest and actually you know, objectively study the data. Yes. Um, obviously, we don't think the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are inspired by God because mm-hmm. our theology is such that inspiration stopped, you know, with the completed canon of Scripture back at the end of the first century. But having said that, there probably is no... Um, document in the history of mankind, politically anyway, that has been influenced, not inspired, but influenced, you know, more than the Bible. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually believe this, David, that the most important book that's ever been written is the Bible. Um, the second two most important documents uh, are, are two that have been influenced by the Bible, that have given more people more economic and political freedom than any other documents in the history of the world, and that's A, America's birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence, 1776, and B, the United States Constitution, which sort of functions like the bylaws of a corporation, explaining how this new uh, nation is supposed to be governed. Mm. And without those two documents, uh, what would we have today? in terms of political and economic freedom, almost nothing. And what makes them unique is those two were not inspired by God, the way I'm defining inspiration, but were heavily, heavily influenced by the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere, and some people put it at 92%, 90, uh, 95, but I read somewhere uh, what I believe is, is pretty true or pretty accurate, that out of all of our founding documents, our earliest founders and, and leaders and patriots and pastors either referred to or quoted the Bible approximately 94% of the time. These are in documents that we can access in history, in books, in letters. And uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the figures I have come right out of um, Donald Lutz in his Origins of American Constitutionalism. And he, with his uh, colleague, uh, two political scientists, the second guy's name is Heinemann, and this was actually published in a political science journal in the early 1980s. They just went through all of the things that our founding fathers quoted from when they used, you know, direct direct, uh, primary source quotes. And they went through like 15,000 items from the founding era. And they discovered that 34% of all of the direct quotes of our founders come from the Bible. 
8% came from Baron Montesquieu, 8% came from William Blackstone, 3% came from John Locke, and if I had time, I could show you that Montesquieu, Blackstone, and Locke were heavily steeped in the Scripture themselves. Mm. So when our founding fathers wow. weren't quoting the Bible, yes, <laughs> you know they were quoting people that were influenced by the Bible, and that's that's the origin of America, and this explains why our system of government has done so well in comparison to the rest of the world. Um, Andy, I'm least familiar, and maybe our listeners are too. I'm not sure with Montesquieu. I know the others, can, Blackstone, and can you tell us a little bit about Montesquieu and what he did? Well, Montesquieu basically is the idea of the separation of powers, hmm. you know, and in Montesquieu's writings, he talks about the Christian religion and how the Christian religion has given us sort of a, a politics that no other religion has. Just very quickly, uh, Blackstone, through Blackstone, you have the idea of unalienable rights, that rights come from God. And then John Locke is uh, what we would call social compact theory, that people in the state of nature sort of need to come together and they need to create government. And through Locke, you get the idea of limited government, um, that government can do certain things and it can't do certain things. You know, very different from the divine right of kings where it was looked at in Europe, you know, that if you were... Basically, um, in government, you were you were put there by God to rule everybody, and John Locke said, no, government has certain limitations. So as our founding fathers are looking at the Bible and Montesquieu's separation of powers, William Blackstone, unalienable rights, and John Locke, social compact theory and limited government, you know, we have our birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence, 1776, and then a little bit later, we have the United States Constitution, two documents that would not exist without the Bible. Amen. And I just want to quote, I don't remember where you got to this in your two-part presentation um, in the two sermons you gave, but I love this quote uh, by John Quincy Adams. He said, Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of a nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? Now, Andy, th this is pretty clear when you look at some of these quotes. And this is just one, John Quincy Adams. There are so many quotes, and yet people will deny the fact that our founding was based on the principles of Scripture and the Bible in Jesus Christ. Yeah, in fact, that particular quote, it was, I read it in a secondary source. It was so good, I didn't really believe he said it. <laughs> so I, I am, you know, I come from the academic background, you know, I have a PhD, and so we were always taught in my PhD program, never never rely on secondary sources, go to the primary source. Mm. So I traipsed all over the Houston libraries, and this was in the summer months like it is now. It's pretty hot here. I remember just sweating and looking all over for it, and there it was. I, I found it. Mm. 
Um, it was in an oration that John Quincy Adams, America's sixth president, gave at a uh, sort of a Fourth of July gathering in uh, Newberry. And uh, he really did say that. Mm. He said, look, um, if you want to celebrate Christianity, here's the things you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate Christmas. You need to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And you need to celebrate July 4th, 1776, because it's on July 4th, 1776, that the principles of Jesus, you know, actually went into, um, you know, a a, a governmental structure. Mm. And I, I tell my church, I say, look, I'm basically a verse-by-verse teacher, but I'm going to give a special message on three days, Christmas, uh, Resurrection Sunday, and Fourth of July, because, you know, quoting here John Quincy Adams, mm. all three are high holy holidays of Christianity. Mm. Well, thank you for doing that. We're going to continue this conversation with Andy Woods, and we're going to talk about the seven principles that made America great. We're going to lay them out, and since uh, we don't have a lot of time, we're going to touch on every one uh, and just give you more information on where you can listen to the messages by Andy on his Rumble page, on YouTube, and at Andy Woods Ministries. So thank you guys for tuning in. Stay with us. A lot of history and a lot to be reminded of when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. You can check out Andy's website, andywoodsministries.org, and I really encourage you guys to listen to both of these messages, part one and part two, Seven Principles That Made America Great. So let's jump into the first one. Maybe just rattle them all off real quick, Andy. Number one, sanctity of life principle. Number two, recognition of human depravity. Number three, non-New World Order principle. Number four, economic justice. Number five, heterosexual monogamy principle. Number six, cooperation with Christianity. And number seven, pro-Israel so we just heard at the beginning of the podcast, I, we played the audio quick clip yesterday of NEA President Becky Pringle saying that they've been at this for decades and they will fight tireless, tirelessly for the right to abortion. They will never stop. This is the NEA, the public school system in America. So that seems to go directly against the first principle, Andy Woods, sanctity of life. So uh, please share a little bit about that. Well, you know, the Bible... Right on page one, uh, tells us that we're different than the animal kingdom because we bear God's image. Mm. And obviously, to a human being that bears God's image, there's a certain dignity that goes with that. And I would argue that certain political rights come from that. And that's where our Declaration of Independence starts. Mm. It starts with God. Um, Thomas Jefferson wrote... In 1776, they, that's us, are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Um, We've explained, I think, in prior broadcasts that unalienable comes from that word lien. If I own a lien against your property, you know, you really don't own the property. I own the property, and if you sell your property, I get the proceeds. Unalienable is the idea that it's yours alone because it comes to you from God. And that's where the Declaration of Independence starts. Our rights exist because God gave them to us. 
Uh, you'll notice it doesn't say here they can be suspended because of some sort of virus. <laughs> you know, uh, they're just ours because they come from God. Amen. And most governments around the world don't start with God. They might give you these rights in some sense, but they don't anchor them in God. So the truth of the matter is what God giveth, only God can taketh away. Joe Biden and uh, whoever else has no right to shut down churches. He has no right to take away our Second Amendment rights. Um, he has no right to tell us we can't say certain things because they're hate speech. Um, all of these rights as expressed in our Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution. It's very clear they come from God, and what God giveth only God can take a, take away. Which, by the way, David, is why they're trying to erase God yes. in the public school system, because it's political. Because if we lose sight of God, then we lose sight of our unalienable rights, and we have to look to the Biden administration for our rights. Uh, briefly, uh, let's look at what uh, Representative Jerry Nadler said in Congress last year when he was saying God has no authority in the House of Representatives. He was responding to someone that was um, Florida Republican Greg Stubbe, who was trying to uh, he's disagreeing with the passing the Equality Act. And we we've done podcasts on that, so we can't get into that right now. But Nadler responded from the House floor and said, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. And, Andy, we've come a long way, haven't we? And not in a good well, way. Well, it's just a, um, you know, for a sitting member of the House of Representatives to say something like that is just historically illiterate. I mean, I guess he's never read the Declaration of Independence, I mean, has he never read uh, what John Adams, America's second president, said, who said, quote, rights are antecedent to all earthly government. Rights cannot be repealed or restrained by human laws. Rights are derived from the great legislature of the universe, close quote. I mean, are these concepts that Jerry Nadler is unfamiliar with? And if he is, why is he in the House of Representatives? I mean, everybody wants to impeach Trump for everything. Yeah. Uh, I think this is grounds for impeachment against Jerry Nadler. Wasn't it you used a slide in, I think, part two, if I'm not mistaken. I may, anyway, in your one of your sermons on this, uh, you used a slide with Janet Reno and a quote, some, her basically saying that people get their rights from government. I paraphrase that. Do you, do you have that? Can you share that? Because this is important. Yeah. Yeah, this comes right after, in, this is in the Wall Street Journal, 1995. This was after they committed that, you remember, against the Branch Davidians? Oh, that's right. What, the, what they did to those folks, religious eccentrics, but they didn't deserve to die that way. Mm. Um, this was May 15th, 1995, in the Wall Street Journal. And Janet Reno at the time was the leading law enforcement agent of the whole country. And this just shows you how even someone at her level didn't understand America. She said, quote, you are part of a government that has given its people more freedom than any other government in the history of the world, close quote. Wow. So that's a completely errant statement. I mean, it goes completely against the Declaration of Independence, which says our rights come from God. And as you continue on into the Declaration of Independence – 
it gives you the function of government. It says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, government exists to to protect pre-existing rights that God himself gives. So the United States government does not give rights. The United States government um, essentially uh, observes pre-existing rights coming from God, and then it exists to enforce those rights. And, you know, you can see how the Marxist mindset Hmm. with maximum government wants to erase this idea. Yes. Because they want us to believe that rights come from them, which gives them the power. The way the Declaration of Independence is set up is uh, it limits government. And so... That's why it was stunning to hear Janet Reno say that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to think that many, even in our own government today, um, they do not be, either believe in the Constitution or they don't really understand. Um, and I, I tend to think it's the first one, that they don't believe in it because it points to God. I mean, in the first paragraph, it talks refers to the laws of nature and of nature's God. And then it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So wrap up this first principle that made America great, and that is the sanctity of life principle, Andy. Well, it's just the idea that America is the exception to the rule because it starts from a premise that the United Nations doesn't start from, Mm. uh, or most you know, governmental entities, national or international around the world, do not start from, they do not start with God. They start with government. America is exceptional because it starts with God, you know, first. Now, I guess you've done some broadcasts recently about critical race theory, Mm -hmm. and what people will say at this point is they'll start screaming, you know, the Founding Fathers owned slaves, and so... They were hypocrites, and they didn't respect the sanctity of life principle. The truth of the matter is slavery is a virus that has consumed uh, or has infected, I should say, every single nation in world history. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Contrary to what Senator Kane said on the Senate floor, you know, where he said slavery started with America, I couldn't believe he said that. Ignorant, I know. um, you just read your Bible, and you can see you know, that the exactly. slavery in the Old Testament, right? Uh, slavery has affected every single you know nation. Mm-hmm. The, the, what makes America? America did not invent slavery. What makes America unique is we actually did something to stop it. Yes. And if they had insisted, our founders, because many of them, and I have the book there in one of the slides. It's called uh, "Vindicating the Founders," mm. and it's written by. Uh, Thomas West, and he documents it in there of the Claremont Institute, that many of the founding fathers were against slavery. Yes. There was actually an abolition movement amongst many of our founding fathers, but had they pushed that agenda, the South, the Southern states wouldn't have gone along with the Constitution, wow. and we would have no Constitution. Amazing. So what they did is they kicked the can down the road for subsequent generations to deal with, and history has proven them right because we fought a bloody civil war to get rid of the institution of slavery. And then we um, amended the Constitution three times to get rid of institutional slavery. 
And if that weren't enough, we got rid of it. Uh, the remains of, of, uh, of segregation through the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, slavery is a—it's uh, not even illegalized in half the countries of the world. We're one of the few countries that actually did something about it, and we have the moral conscience to do something about it because of what our Declaration of Independence says. That's right. Uh, we we started with God. We're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Uh, do you guys listening, do you guys understand why the left is so adamant about removing or trying to erase true American history and how we were founded? Um, Andy, let's move on to the next one. And just briefly, because we've talked a lot about human depravity, but that's principle number two, the recognition of human depravity. That that helped our founders draft these documents, didn't it? Sure. In fact, the main text on it would be Federalist Paper Number 51. And, of course, the Federalist Papers were written by Hamilton, Madison, and Jay to convince, really, the farmers of New York to ratify our Constitution. And so they're a tremendous source of light in terms of the original meaning of the Constitution. But I believe it was Madison in Federalist Paper Numbers 51 that said, but what is government but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? Hmm. You know, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You first must enable it to control the governed, hmm and then the next place oblige it to control itself, close quote. So what he's saying there is we got a little problem here. It's not a little <laughs> problem. It's a big problem. It's called sin. Yes. Sin has affected all of us. And so we've got to create a government that's strong enough to control the sinful impulses in the masses. But at the same time, it's got to be weak enough because the people that run the government have the exact same sin nature as everybody else. And so what they did is they divided power uh, horizontally amongst three separate branches, and they, then they divided power vertically amongst the federal government and the state governments, and that way it's impossible for uh, totalitarianism to get hold here because that's the nature of totalitarian individuals. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And our founding fathers put in place a mechanism where that is not supposed to happen here, or it's very difficult for it to happen. And they wouldn't even have had that frame of mind unless they had understood original sin, which mm -hmm. they got right out of the Bible. Yes. I mean, if they were modern-day humanists or modern-day psychologists, or if they were uh, smitten by Enlightenment thinking coming from Europe, there's no way they would have designed our government the way they have because those systems of thought deny depravity. Hmm. But our founding fathers fully understood depravity, and we can thank God for it. We have divided government today, which keeps us safe from totalitarianism because of their view of biblical, the biblical sin nature. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the next one briefly, and I know we're down to three minutes in this segment, Pastor Andy, okay. but this is one that a lot of our listeners like to keep, be up to speed on, and the push toward globalism and the new world order, what the World Economic Forum is doing, and how our government is 
is uh, in danger of being taken over and all this. So talk briefly about that. Set it up in the next couple minutes, and then we'll come back and talk more about it after the break. Well, we're being pushed into the Iran deal. We're being pushed into uh, the Paris Climate Accord. You know, we're constantly being pushed into this new world order. And what you see from America's foundation is our founding fathers were against uh, the new world order idea. They wanted America to be different than the rest of the world. They wanted, wanted it to be a city set on a hill that other nations could em- emulate. But this idea that we're supposed to be like everybody else and we're supposed to be reduced to parity, you know, with the rest of the world um, is, is an idea that's foreign to the birth of America. I mean, if I have time, this real fast quote from sure. John Winthrop, mm-hmm. he says, and this was, you know, one of our Puritans, this goes back uh, 16th century, uh, he says it will be a service to the church of great consequence to carry the gospel into those parts of the world that's the new nation, us, to help on the coming of the fullness of the Gentiles. In other words, he wanted to spread the gospel. And to raise a bulwark against the kingdom of the Antichrist, is what he said. Wow, John Winthrop. And so America (laughs) was started to be different than the new world order of the coming Antichrist. And that's our heritage. Amen. Amen. It is. And this is true history, friends, that we're listening to. We just went through a couple of the first uh, principles that made America great, the sanctity of life principle, the recognition of human depravity. And the. we'll continue talking more with Dr. Andy Woods about the non-New World Order principle. And then we'll possibly get to uh, one or two of the others. You can hear the full uh, sermons at andywoodsministries.com, his Rumble, his YouTube More to come in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Dr. Andy Woods is our guest. We're talking about the seven principles that made America great. And we are going to just lay out the next four and economic justice heterosexual monogamy, cooperation with Christianity, and the pro-Israel principle. But before we get to one or more of those, let's continue talking about what many um, in, in our lives, Andy, when we were younger in our, you know, Christianity, in our Christian faith, we would hear, you know, rumblings about the New World Order. We would look at People's, you know, ideas of Bible prophecy and what, and now we're seeing so much come to pass. And on top of that, men, godless men and globalists and Marxists are saying this and they're not even hiding it anymore. And that's one of the more fascinating points. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, America, as with the Winthrop quote, it was set up to to steer clear mm. and really resist the new world order. And even as late as uh, Tom, uh, excuse me, George Washington, in his farewell address in 1790, you know. By the way, George Washington could have been another King George. Yep. that's how popular he was. <laughs> And he said, we already got rid of one of those, so I'm going to step down from power, mm. you know, and go back to, you know, my my home. Um, can you imagine uh, wow. any of our politicians doing that today, volitionally giving up power like that? Yes. But he gave a farewell 
that's what kind of character he had. Mm. But he, he gave a farewell address in 1790, and he said, quote, It is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world, close quote. Mm. And that's what I would call anti-New World Order thinking. And you see it reflected in Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution, which says if the executive branch of government enters into a treaty uh, with a foreign power, then two-thirds of the present Senate has to concur. And, um, you know, treaty-making was supposed to be difficult, and of course they're getting around all of that today by just saying, well, it's not really a treaty. And that's how we're getting sucked into Paris Climate Accord yep. and Iran deal and all of these crazy international ideas. But that's contrary to the spirit of America. Exactly. Just the opposite of what our founders envisioned. Um, and, well, let's, let's, let's move ahead, Andy, because we have talked a lot about the New World Order and, and what's going on. We've had wonderful guests, yourself, Gary Kaw, J.B. Hicks, and so many others that well, we've talked about that. We will continue to watch what's going on. So uh, we'll skip over the economic justice principle just for the sake of time, unless you want to mention something about that, and jump, just jump to heterosexual monogamy, uh, such an important principle, and yet that's, that is definitely under attack. Yeah. Well, I mean, real quick with uh, economic justice, it was sure. Bradford, Governor Bradford at the Plymouth Plantation who switched the economics there and moved us out of communism, you know, into capitalism, because the early colonies there were teetering. They Mm -hmm. were on the verge of starvation, and they were sort of running a system where, you know, you could, you know, whatever you produce in terms of farming, you had to put it in a common pot. Wow. And what um, Bradford said is, okay, we're going to change the rules, and whatever you produce, you can keep, and it changed the whole work ethic, (laughs) (laughs) changed the entire work ethic of the plantation, and I think that was the Holy Spirit leading America away from socialism, communism, into capitalism, which has unleashed you know worldwide or at least a national prosperity. Mm. And people need to keep that in mind because there are a lot of voices today saying, "Oh, go ahead and go back to socialism and communism." Yet that's contrary to what America was founded on. But the heterosexual monogamy principle really comes from a study in 1934 by J.D. Unwin Mm -hmm. of Oxford University, and he said, look, every society that respects that sexual energy is to be expressed between a man and a woman, you know, within the confines of a lifelong commitment called marriage, every civilization that respects that, they achieve a higher level of civilization. Mm. Every civilization that rejects that principle um, they will begin to deteriorate as a culture. And America, of course, was founded on this heterosexual monogamy principle. Uh, you can see this in a quote from Benjamin Franklin in a tract that he wrote entitled Advice on Coming to America, where he was challenging Europeans to uproot and come to America. And Franklin says, uh, as one of his selling points in this tract, Quote, hence, bad examples to youth are more rare in America. Atheism is unknown there. Infidelity rare in secret. (laughs) (laughs) 
so that a person may live to a great age in that country without having their piety shocked by meeting either atheist or infidel, close quote. Mm. So he's not denying infidelity happened, but it wasn't promoted. Um, it wasn't looked at as the social norm. If it happened, it was secret. And compare that to today. All you do is flip on television. Um, I remember in the 1980s, it was Dallas and Dynasty uh, on TV, and all the, all they were doing was jumping in and out of bed with each other, you know, outside of, of marriage. Yeah. And so that's that's contrary to what America was founded on. And one of the secrets of our greatness, according to that J.D. Unwin study, is we, at the very beginning, respected heterosexual monogamy, which doesn't surprise us as Christians. That's a that's a belief that goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. I was fortunate to have Bill Federer on last month, and I want to read yes. this, this quote that I took from your presentation off one of your slides. Um, <laughs> basically, I mean, we can conclude this, and these are sobering words when you think about the state of America that civilizations can't survive unless there is some restraint upon sexual expression. And he mentioned this study done in 1934 and 80 civilizations over 5,000 years, including Athens, and he found sexual promiscuity always precedes the destruction of a civilization. End quote. Bill Federer, American Minute. I'll put a wrap on this, Andy, because that's just, it's, heart-wrenching words and when you think about where we're at as a nation. It is, and you see every standard today being promoted other than the right one. Hmm. I mean, right down to gender dysphoria. Uh, I mean, it was homosexuality, now we're into gender dysphoria. I mm -hmm. mean, it used to be just uh, adultery and fornication being promoted, but you can see how our sexual, you know, there, there isn't any um, standard left. Right. And how in the world is America supposed to survive and thrive as a culture when we reject, you know, the very premise that we were founded on? Mm. So let's wrap it up, and uh, we just can touch on one more. Um, let's talk about being pro-Israel. Obviously, Genesis twelve three, a huge scripture here. And uh, depending on the administration in America, we've either been pro-Israel or like President Trump administration was pro-Israel, now we've got an anti-Israel. Or is it fair to say, Andy Woods, that the Biden administration is not exactly pro-Israel? Well, I don't think it, uh, the Biden administration is pro-Israel because he took his flag down off his limousine, uh, the, the Israeli flag, when he went to East Jerusalem. What's the significance of that, when he went to East, it, East, it, East Jerusalem? It's demonstrating that he's bought into the Palestinian narrative mm -hmm. that Jerusalem is a divided city. You know, the exact opposite of the mindset that Trump exuded when he moved our embassy from, you know, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And so in the Middle East, you know, what people need to understand is symbol is reality. And so when he actually travels, first of all, to East Jerusalem, which a lot of people wish he hadn't have done that. And number two, takes the Israeli flag, you know, off his limousine as he's traveling into that region. Basically, he's saying, yeah, we, we accept the Palestinian narrative that Jerusalem is really a divided city. That's why that, what he did there is so significant. So we now have um, an administration which is really open to the Palestinian narrative of a divided Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. 
So your overall presentations, your two sermons uh, in these two parts, seven principles that made America great, one of the foundation scriptures seems to be Proverbs uh, 14.34 that says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. And uh, go ahead, I'll just let you share more. Well, notice it doesn't say tax cuts exalt a nation, you know, <laughs> low yeah. interest rates exalted. I mean, all the things that we talk about today, those really are not the secrets of America's greatness. I mean, the secret of America's greatness is getting back to first principles. It's like a, you know, it's no different than a recipe. You know, you enjoy a fine food and you want to say, well, what's the recipe that makes this so tasty? There's actually a recipe mm. that made made America what it became, and it relates to first principles. And those first principles come right out of the Bible. And I think any culture that respects those first principles will prosper and thrive because that's what God promises. And any culture that rejects those principles, which apparently is the trajectory that we are on today, um, it. It's just a matter of time before it finds itself on the ash heap, you know, mm -hmm. of human history. Uh, you said uh, during the break we were talking, and sometimes we, we, we have to start recording, you know, just, <laughs> just our conversations with guests during the break, because there's some fascinating things. Uh, you said that it's quite possible that God has been so patient with this nation, and we've lasted so long, in part due to our founders' prayers, and I think that, wow, we, we, we also are one of the few nations in the world that has supported God's chosen people or God's chosen nation, Israel. And so if you look at those two things, I would just love to hear more about that perspective that our founders, you know, they, they were laboring on their knees before this country even got off the ground. And uh, that, that may have continued to have an impact even today. Who knows? Well, it's interesting. Benjamin Franklin um, called for a historic prayer, and it, that's interesting because he's, you know, he's considered the least religious of our founding fathers. Yes, a lot of people call him a deist. He doesn't look like a deist <laughs> to me in that prayer because he says, "Look, uh, we're not going to get any further here than the Tower of Babel." He quotes the Bible, you know, we're just going to keep fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. And this was a, at a point in the Constitutional Convention, you know, where they just couldn't agree on things, and it looked like the Constitution would never get off the ground. And he said, you know, we need to pray, and if God, you know, is concerned about the sparrow that falls to the ground, quoting the Bible again, the Sermon on the Mount, then... God is going to help us. And by the way, we used to pray all the time. Remember the War of Independence? We were praying like crazy, and we saw God do miracle mm. after miracle. And so let's get together again, and let's start praying. And oh, by the way, let's get the, let's get the clergy involved. Let's bring the clergy into our meeting room here, and let's have them pray. And they pray for hours, and this is not a prayer where, Lord, you know, bless the food, amen. They're praying for hours for the hand of God to manifest itself at this constitutional convention. That's right. Just like they prayed for deliverance from Britain in 1776. And look at what God did. God answered. And we have the country, you know, we have the founding documents that we have today because of this prayer, I believe, by 
Benjamin Franklin, who the revisionists call the least religious of America's founding fathers. And what about, I'm sure you're familiar with the first prayer to open the Continental Congress of 1774, the House Chaplain, Reverend uh, Jacob Deshaies. If you read that prayer, I mean, that opened the Congress of the United States of America. It's pretty compelling. It's too long to get into now. But um, how about Israel? How much do you think, and I know that some of this is speculation, Andy, um, how much do you think our support generally through our history for Israel has played into the preservation of America? Oh, I think it might be the main factor hmm. because God gives the only foreign policy statement anywhere in the Bible. In Genesis 12, verse 3, he says, Those who curse you, I will curse, and the one who blesses you, I will bless. Hmm. And in Newport, Rhode Island, there existed the first synagogue in America called the Toro Synagogue. I've actually visited there myself. There's a museum set up, and George Washington was invited there to participate in their worship service, and he wrote to that synagogue the very same day. He, Of course, George Washington, the father of our country, and biblically, we know how God works through federal heads, you know, Adam, uh, etc., George Washington wrote them, and this has actually been cited in a number of um, Supreme Court cases, but everybody quotes the wrong phrase in it. Uh. Um, You know, I'll read it to you if I have time. It's very quick. It says, I rejoice in the opportunity of assuring you that I shall always retain a grateful remembrance of the cordial welcome I experienced in my visit to Newport. The government of the United States, which gives bigotry no sanction to persecution, no assistance. Now, that's the part of it everybody quotes mm. to, to show that America was founded on you know, freedom of ideas. But if, as you keep reading, you'll see the secret to America's greatness. George Washington says to the Jewish people, quote, May the children of the stock of Abraham, who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants while everyone now here he's quoting the book of Micah and Isaiah while everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid close quote Mm. okay we've got to wrap it up Patrick Wood tomorrow Julian Appling Thursday John Haller on Friday God bless you keep speaking the truth about things that matter